Hey, Nora. Hey, Sandy. What is going on? Happy Pride. Happy Pride. Oh, my God. I mean, Pride in this city happens on Labor Day weekend, so I'm still, like, holding out for maybe a vaccine for our Pride Festival. Oh. You know, it seems like that's probably not going to happen. All all of the news suggests that everything's about to get much worse. So um, our prediction from a couple months ago of us uh, being stuck in the house for maybe two years... I don't know, Nora. We're pretty good at predictions, so <laughs> it might uh, that might come to fruition. Totally. And not just that, but I do believe we have a whole episode on how opening the economy was a bad idea and only serving capital and white supremacy. And things look really bad where you are and in your fellow states. Uh, how are things going? Fellow states. That sounds far too friendly. Acquaintance states, <laughs> my 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 colleague states, <laughs> your peers. <laughs> um, yeah, it looks bad. I mean, it's weird because uh, it's in California. It seems like everyone's like excited about things starting to open up. So the gyms are open now. Ooh, you can go to a nail salon. You can go get a massage now. And I'm just like. What? That sounds like not a good idea. And then I think today the governor was like, oh, God, shut down the bars. Um, So the bars are now shutting down again. And then there's all this news about how um, all the numbers uh, suggest that there's about to be another surge. And uh, there was record breaking numbers of new cases uh, in America today. So, you know, it all looks like a giant shit trash bag juice sandwich that I'm not trying to eat. So, you know, I'm not leaving home. (laughs) (laughs) Well, those nail salons, I mean, I'm not sure if you saw the news, but the big outbreak... I mean, we're in this moment now of seeing big outbreaks happen uh, because the numbers are so low in Canada, which is great. Uh, But there's a big outbreak in Kingston, which is a part of Ontario, part of Canada, really, that has not had many illnesses. Uh, The number of long-term care facility deaths has been really low. Overall deaths has been low. And then 18 people come down with COVID who visited one nail salon. So, I mean, I know people love getting their nails done, but, like, you should see my hair. (laughs) Like... Maybe we should just stay home a little bit longer. (laughs) I know. It's like, you know, here's the thing. If we're socially distancing anyway, ain't nobody going to see your nails. Well, I think... Like, whatever. Well, I think... I'm not a nail person. I know anyone that knows me knows that I don't even like... Like, makeup to me is extremely mysterious and and confusing. But I think that most people do their nails for themselves. I mean, I do... I used to do my nails and then COVID happened and now I'm not doing them anymore. (laughs) Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, I do them for myself, but it's also fun to show other people. It's like, yeah, look at this. Yeah, that's true. But anyway, yeah, that's not what we're talking about today. (laughs) So here's the thing. Today, uh, Nora and I have had some difficult weeks. And so today, which is not the case every day, uh, we're doing this, this episode with Nora having drinking some gin, correct? I am. You are. And I am drinking a Negroni. So this is probably just going to be a little bit more fun than usual. (laughs) For us. (laughs) Sorry, listeners. For us. Uh, Yeah. 
Yeah, it will be it will be more fun. And and the the theme I think of this episode is going to be how like life under COVID is both abnormal and also somehow back to normal. I, I, I maybe that does that capture the two big things that we're we're going to talk about. I mean, th- this weekend. This weekend is a very important weekend in, in, in Toronto and a lot of parts around North America. You alluded to it off the top of the show. It is Pride. It's Pride. Happy Pride, everybody. Yeah, happy Pride. And somehow, the one very interesting thing about this moment is that COVID has reduced Pride to being protests against the police. Mm-hmm. There's been really great actions that I've been seeing out of many cities. Uh, of course, Toronto, because the big pride parade in Canada, uh, oh, sorry, Montreal, uh, happens the today, usually. <laughs> um, and, right. and in this weekend, instead of having the pride parade, of course, is not possible, and the other events like the Dyke March and the Trans March, uh, there was a big gay anti-police rally in Toronto instead. And so that is just... That's just so cool. I mean, Pride's gone back to its roots of being, um, I believe the Toronto Star called uh, the first Pride quote-unquote parade, which of course was not a parade, it was a protest, uh, a, uh, a a gathering of militant homosexuals. So, Sandy, happy <laughs> militant homosexual day to you. About it, yeah. <laughs> and I mean, even uh, yesterday, I think there was a socially distanced dyke march that was uh, particularly talking about uh, defunding the police um, in Toronto as well. And so, you know, and there's all these workshops and uh, going on about the police uh, from different pride organizations. And that's fantastic because that's the origin of pride. Mm. Some some real, hey, like, take a look at the, the fucking police shit. So uh, that feels pretty good to like kind of return to that for this pride right now. Even though, you know, it's also a very lonely, it's a different kind of pride, you know, yeah, this year. Yeah, totally. Now, today we're not necessarily going to talk about pride. We really want to get into some classic liberal scheme conversations. I mean, I didn't think that we would have another liberal scheme episode so soon. The last one I feel like was only five episodes ago. Um But we can't... <laughs> I knew it. <laughs> Did you? <laughs> <laughs> Look... It is, it is, this is prime season for liberal scheme, okay? COVID <laughs> has given us all the fodder, all the raw material that the liberals need to create their schemes. So I know, Nora, d- we're going to be talking about some liberal schemes a lot, okay? So get ready. <laughs> Strap in. Never again be so surprised. <laughs> I, I just have this image in my head of Trudeau as like, like, like Hulk scheme, scheme Hulk schemey hulk and he just like ew bursts into this big like monster that's all red and his like all this like clothes rip off he's like oh liberal schemes hulk man i'm not sure why i thought about that but probably because my i've got kids and they're always talking about um well they don't say hulk because they speak french and so they're always talking about oak to live in nora loretto's mind for a day (laughs) what a strange experience that would be. Uh, I guess the gin unlocked something. Okay, yeah. But uh, <laughs> Sandy, four years ago, I mean, I don't remember where I was four years ago because my kids were probably two. I was in Quebec City. I wasn't necessarily doing anything super fun or maybe I was. Fuck, I don't know. I don't remember. But you 
you were doing something that I was watching Mm -hmm. and a lot of people across Canada and the world were watching and something that looking back today seems like, I mean, if you were not on side and now you're on side would seem like completely prescient. Yeah, I mean, four years ago in 2016, Black Lives Matter, we were named by Pride Toronto the honored group. Hmm. And, What's that? Uh, you know, they, they tend to honor a group or a person every year that would then uh, be right at the front of the parade. Um, and they they talk about, you know, how this is the group that we're honoring this year because they have done such and such for queer and trans people or whatever. And so they contacted us and asked, you know, we want you to be the honored group. And at that time, you know, there's so much to this story that a lot of people don't know. So I'll go into it a little bit. What we knew, but they didn't know that we knew was that they had actually uh, contacted uh, BLM in the United States to be the honored group. What? Come on. Yeah. Did I not tell you this before? (laughs) I mean, you know what? Honestly, this is for effect for our listeners. <laughs> okay, yeah. So they had contacted BLM in the United States to be the honored group, and BLM in the United States was like, you know, we have a very close relationship, and they were like, um, "Okay, thanks for contacting us, but you know that you have a chapter in your city, right? And that they are doing fantastic work, some of the most uh, uh, intense work of the network. And have you contacted them? Have you let them know?" And Pride was like, eh. and then BLM National said, "Well, we don't want, we don't want that. Uh, if you if you want to honor anyone, you need to honor the people in your city. So, thanks, but no thanks." So then they contacted us. Awkward. We're like, "Hey, surprise! We want you to be our honored group." And we were like, "Okay, yeah, we know we're the we're, we're your second thought, but it's cool. We are <laughs> happy to accept if if." you agree to these demands because we understand that maybe BLM's a little hot right now and you want to capitalize on that. But we, we need, if you truly want to honor us, there's a few things that you need to do. At the time, the police were the largest contingent in the pride parade. That's something that a lot of people, a context that a lot of people didn't really understand at the time, the largest contingent in the Pride Parade was the police. I think there were 30 different police departments that were a part of the Toronto Pride Parade, everywhere from Montreal to Windsor to London to uh, Toronto. And they would march in the Pride Parade with their vehicles and sirens going, fully uniformed. Another piece of context that people may not know is that when police are uniformed, they have to be paid or something like There's some rule around that. Um, so fully uniformed. But also another piece of information that people might not know is that you don't wear clothes at the Pride Parade. <laughs> like, what the fuck? I know. How ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyway, you know, as part of this, like, a parent celebration, I don't know. They, you know, they have their sirens going off as though that's not something that is um, difficult to experience from people who have had a lot of negative experiences with the police, like, like black people. And so we said, look. If you want to honor us, here's how you honor us. Police need to be out of the parade. And, you know, again, we were way back in 2016, we're also talking about defunding the police, and that was part of the discussion. Police need to be out of the parade. You need to do more to support 
the the disabled queer and trans community um you know first and foremost with asl interpretation at everything which at that point pride did not have uh you need to do more to support um the black organizations and other racialized organizations uh who put on blockerama each year and other uh such stages that really cater uh, to the experiences of particular identities within the queer and trans community, and so on. There were there were a number of demands that we made, uh, and Pride was like, ah, we're like really nervous about this. Like, can we have a meeting? We'll think about it. And you know, we didn't come up with those demands ourselves. We we had met with a bunch of other groups that were active within Pride um, and outside of Pride, but in the queer and trans community. And, you know, had come up with this as a community, like this is what these are the things that um, the community is asking for. And if you want to honor us, uh, this is what you'll do. Pride did not commit uh, to those demands, but still really wanted to honor us. They were like, we will think about it. We will think about it real hard, but you are still going to be at the front of the parade, right? We just need to announce it. And we said, okay, sure, we will be at the front of the parade. And we knew um, that we would not do that. We would take that power that they were then giving to us uh, by putting us at the front of the parade and not let all of these uh, people who had demanded so much from Pride for so long, because these demands weren't new. They were uh, demands that had been coming since like the 90s. Uh, we knew that we would use that power um, to make sure that we got what we needed. And so in 2016, we planned this action where we're at the front of Pride. And when we got to Young and College, uh, for those of you who know Toronto, uh, in the march, we sat down, we stopped marching, and we stopped the parade. And we said, you better get the executive director of Pride over here because we have some unfinished business and he has some commitments that we need him to make, uh, first and foremost being that the police can no longer be at Pride if this parade is to continue. And so, you know, it was a it was a sit in that lasted, I think, about a half an hour. The, the executive director did come. He did end up committing uh, to uh, all of the demands. And then, you know, we we celebrated uh, the tradition of. Um, civil disobedience uh, that that is pride that we had uh, been contributing to and continued to the, the 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 parade and that became a rallying cry across North America and beyond as far as uh, mm-hmm. I think in the Middle East there were some pride parades who were also saying no more police at pride um, throughout North America lots of um, sit-ins and demonstrations uh, no police at Pride, and it all started in Toronto, Canada. And wasn't uh, Justin Trudeau present that day? That was actually the the most hilarious part of the action. You know, we we planned the action, and we thought, um, you know, of everything that we've ever planned, it was is it was so simple to us. Uh, but we knew that this was the first time the prime minister, I think. Yeah, I think the first time that, uh, that a sitting prime minister was attending the Toronto Pride Parade. 
And so uh, we knew that there was going to be heightened security. And so there were things that we were very nervous about. Like we, we set off a bunch of smoke bombs and that was, <laughs> that was quite the argument because, you know, we thought that that was if anything. That was the thing that was going to get us in trouble um, from the, you know, snipers that were atop all these buildings in Toronto. Um, oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> we didn't use black smoke for that reason. Um, yeah. But, smart. <laughs> Uh, but, uh, yeah, Justin Trudeau was there. We did the sit-in and, uh, shortly after the sit-in starts, uh, someone comes up to us and says, hi, are you guys representatives of Black Lives Matter? We're like, obviously look at us. Nobody is dressed like <laughs> us. <laughs> like, we were, we were pretty decked out and, uh, they were like, okay, so, you know, we know you've started this sit-in, uh, because you want to speak to Justin Trudeau and he is prepared, um, to have a discussion with you. Uh, he may not come right up. And we were like, wait, what? And they were like, isn't that why you're doing the sit-in? Because you wanted to, because you want to talk to Justin Trudeau? We were like, um, nope. Uh, no, not at all. (laughs) He has literally nothing to do with this. And they're like, oh, uh, really? So you don't, you don't need us to coordinate some sort of discussion? We were like, uh, nope. I think so. I guess like uh, uh, Black Lives Matter, like he, there's things he should do about that, I suppose. But that's not what the issue is here today. <laughs> and they're like, oh, very confused. And we're like, OK, and then left. So, yeah, that was a very weird part of the history of that action was the this, you know, I guess Justin Trudeau and team had this expectation that that was something that could happen, uh, given that we were the honored group and had people ready uh, to come approach us and say, hey, we're ready for you. Let's have this conversation <laughs> that we had no intention of having. Yeah, I I was watching, as I said, from afar. And that um, that that protest action was just so incredible to witness from out- outside and to see people react to it. And in the intervening years, I mean, I've thought a lot about that, 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 that event. But the thing that strikes me, that's, that's, that it didn't really strike me before. I mean, before I left Toronto, the Pride Parade was obligatory. Like, I was in the Pride Parade for probably seven years. I still have and wear the T-shirts that I got from every time that I was in the parade for the contingents that I was in. And, and, and you, Sandy, of course, you were as well. And the the history of black queer activism in toronto in canada as being like really the foundation of queer activism like the the radicalness mm-hmm. the the collective uh from the Dusen street house in toronto that helped to form like queer black radical thought uh, uh folks like dion brand who like pushed the women's movement into like actually being active and of course activists around her too making sure that black queer women's voices were not just represented but like that their demands being like the the most radical and in radical what i mean is like the the things that unless they change nothing will change like unless we make life better for black queer women nothing is going to be better for anybody like that is is really foundational and it's not something that I had any concept of although not that I was formed in in queer history really but the pride parade had become had become is I mean if it was happening today we'd probably be saying oh another day of a corporate pride parade it had become so corporate and that was normal that that you'd be marching between 
Uh, sure, there were lots of unions in the parade and lots of collectives and progressive organizations. We were always there for students. Um, but there was always like you'd be between fucking TD Bank, Air Canada, fucking Royal Bank, like TELUS, name it. They were they were in the parade. And the the attention that that action put on on the purpose of pride, on the role that police play in Toronto. I mean, that had happened not long after a massive sting of Toronto police of queer men who were cruising in a public park. That's right. And and I was I remember I wrote a piece very quickly after that happened and it was probably one of the few pieces in Canada that were written outside of BLM that was saying that this was good. And it was it was the piece that I've received the most criticism for, I would say. Um, because most of the criticism I receive are not for pieces that I write because most of the people that are really critical of me like can only read Twitter tweets. (laughs) So I get more trouble for my tweets. But the article that I wrote from especially from from men who are white and queer being like they had hijacked my parade. They had hijacked my day. This is like for us. It was so fascinating and frustrating, of course. And I had a lot of debates with people like that. And there's a couple of people that I have in mind in particular who I argued vehemently with. No, no, like they like all BLM is doing in this action is trying to get Pride Toronto to go back to its roots and to actually stand for something that's going to make the life of all queer people in this country better. And uh, one of the people that I argued with the most has been so strongly in support of BLM today that I'm just like... It's funny how things change, huh? Like, yeah, like, okay, <laughs> it took some time for people to come around. And that is great. I mean, a lot of folks that listen to the podcast are new to radical politics or to leftist politics. And it's just like, yes, 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 yes. But to think back to where things were in 2016, like you folks were really demonized. Oh, yeah. I, you know, people really don't know how difficult that was. And, you know, at some point, we should think about how we're going to document this, um, this experience. But people that day, um, were hurling the N word at us a lot while we were sitting there and refusing to, to move to move. And Wendy Mesley, did you see what I did there? You see what I did? I said, <laughs> I said N-word. It's it's fully possible. I guarantee you everyone listening to this podcast understands what I meant. And uh, <laughs> nothing nothing in terms of meaning was harmed. You see that? <coughs> anyway, um, yeah, people were hurling the N-word at us afterwards for about two or three weeks. Um, you know, we were so recognizable despite our um, uh, efforts, our best efforts to costume ourselves. It, it, they we were, were so well done. <laughs> <laughs> it was really great costumes. We were we were so recognizable that, you know, while walking up Church Street uh, later that week, um, I was pushed, I was spit on, I was shoved. It got to the point where uh, some unions actually decided to to donate taxi service for us and for those of us who needed that and um, rental cars for those of us who needed that so that we didn't have to use public transportation because it was just so dangerous, uh, all the people who recognized us and were so frustrated at uh, what we had done. At the same time, it was our most successful fundraising period uh, at at that point because so many people were Mm. so grateful for what we had done um, for for bringing um, these types of concerns again to the fore of uh, what it means to 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 um, 
to foreground queer and trans issues that we were, you know, people were wanting to donate to that. But at the same time, we were being so vilified, like that we were in danger. It was really, it was really quite a weird experience. I'd never experienced something quite the type of vitriol, um, quite so publicly, uh, that, uh, that we got during that time. And and so because this episode is not supposed to be only about this, we will talk about um, the, the the Kielbergers, although we also did want to talk about Wendy Mesley. So I'm super glad that you slipped that in because there's really nothing else to say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, looking back, how how do you see that event in relation to what's going on today? Well, I think that people, you know, I don't know about whether or not people were ready to have the conversation about defunding the police, but that was what the action was about. We were like, look, the police should not be in these spaces when they do not serve our communities at the fuck all. They, they harm us. They kill us. And quite frankly, if there's like a group of people who are killing someone who you are uh, um, either, you know, in a community that you're either a part of or have some sort of connection to, why would you honor that community by letting them hang out with you at Pride? We were calling attention to that, but we were also at the time saying, we need to defund the police. Uh, because, uh, you know, the, the the particular issue that we were really focused on at that time was um, the killing of Andrew Loku, who was also, again, you know, this, this story is so, so familiar, uh, was experiencing a mental health crisis when the police showed up and killed him within seconds of seeing him uh, in his own apartment building. And, you know, we were saying like there's there was no reason for armed police to have even show up, shown up where he was. And people, you know, that part of what we were saying wasn't even getting into the news. It was just, you know, the the black people are trying to ruin queer people's fun. That was literally the messaging that the that the media ran with. At the time, uh, I, you know. I recall this interview that Rosemary Barton did with Rodney DeVerlis. It's one of my favorite interviews. I use it every time I do media trainings for people uh, where she she literally asks Rodney, like, so, but why would you as black people want to stop queer people from having a good relationship with the police. Like, why wouldn't you just do your thing and let let queer people have their relationship? And he, Rodney's response is like, uh, you know, you, like, the, like, are there not black queer people? And she, like, stares back at him. And it's <laughs> like this weird exchange, which, again, proves, you know, way back in 2016 that Rosemary Barton showed that she was unqualified to have discussions about race and should not be having those discussions today. If it was any other issue, she would not be tapped to have those types of discussions with people like uh, the commissioner of the RCMP. But I digress. <laughs> Uh, but that 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 is the kind of uh, way that people were framing the discussion. Um, and, you know, uh, coming back to today where now people are understanding what we meant by that action, what that action really meant. It was uh, uh, an action that was trying to show that not only had uh, the police been terrible 
to Black communities and Indigenous communities, but has always, always, the, in all the history of police interactions with the queer and trans community, has also been a, a force for death, destruction, um, and harm to the queer and trans community and did not deserve, one, a place in this parade, but two, to, to have any sort of platform given to them by, uh, by some sort of uh, organization uh, claiming to represent uh, the interests of queer and trans people. And so, um, you know, today, far more people seem to understand that message that we were, um, we were putting forward in 2016 than certainly did at that time, uh, where it seemed uh, far more fraught of a discussion um, than it is today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, I mean, it, things have moved so quickly in the last couple of years in terms of politics that it it is really cool to see people coming around. And I I love these stories. I mean, I've heard you tell these stories before, and I just like it, it, it. Like witnessing a historic moment is one thing, and then witnessing a historic moment, and then hearing it retold and putting yourself back to where you were at that moment is really important. Mm-hmm. And for our listeners who may have changed their position on this, like really reflect on that and think about: Is there any way that you can take action that you that you should have taken in 2016, but you weren't there yet? So you know, no guilt. Don't be guilty. Think of how you can share your enlightenment enlightenment with the people around you and how uh, and how we reconceive of these big events that so often put whiteness at the at the center of it and how we can resist that. It's it's really important. Yeah. And like, think about what it was. What was the thing that you heard that really changed your mind? What was the, what were the conditions that allowed you to see things differently? And, you know, I'd like to hear about that. Like what, what was it about um, this moment that, that shifted things for you? Was it a frame of mind? Was it something else? Um, But also, you know, uh, recognize those things for yourself and try to recreate those conditions when you are having these conversations about defunding the police with other people, which we expect Nora and I that you are doing. (laughs) Yeah. You're doing that right. Like if you're not listening to us, you're doing that. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Uh, So from pride to we, I guess, to the Kielbergers. That was not my best transition. I have to admit. Um, This is a terrible pivot. Okay. Uh, From, uh, from, from free the queers to we the grifters. Let's talk about we. Yeah, I mean that was another attempt, uh, and we'll just we'll move on from there. <laughs> Let's talk about we. <laughs> okay, fine. <laughs> so a new liberal <laughs> scheme. What is Mr. Trudeau up to today? Th- this one, I gotta say, like I mean. My expectations for what is acceptable with the Liberal Party of Canada are very low. You can say that, like, the bar is on the floor for me. Uh, but they can still dig holes. I mean, you can dig an infinite hole into the center of the earth and be burned by molten lava. And they are working on it. Mm. They're, 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 they're mm. working on it. So this past week, they announced that the Canada Student Service Grant, which is one of the COVID projects that they've created for young people will be administered by the 
Kielberger brothers, Craig and Mark. Oh, that makes perfect sense because they are um, uh, part of the bureaucracy that is the government of Canada. <laughs> right? Like, it, 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 we can talk. Okay, okay, okay. How, like, let's maybe back up and talk <laughs> about this program in the first place is a shitty program. It's an extremely shitty program. So the Canada Service Grant is is... I mean, with the Canada Student Supplement, which was a $750 promise per week for students that couldn't find work because of COVID, then then Trudeau, in his infinite wisdom, was like, fuck, we need a way to get young people to volunteer because I love Katimovic and, and Katimovic things like volunteering is super sweet. So they on their website, they announce that there's this program for for students and the way that they describe it is it presents students an opportunity to mobilize and take part in national service activities that can provide valuable labor market and skills development experiences while giving back to their local communities. And to encourage students to participate in the COVID-19 response, the government is announcing this new initiative, blah, 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 that will provide up to $5,000 to support students' post-secondary education costs in the fall. Uh, the whole thing is, you know, the, um, <laughs> the whole thing is uh, coordinated through something called the I Want to Help platform. And the details came out this past week that the uh, that the program is being coordinated through the We charity. So Me to We, which is Free the Children, which is Craig and Mark Kielberger, which if you're our age, you remember them as being your age as a kid, being all like, we're going to save the fucking kids, man. And you're like, what kids are you talking about? And they, <laughs> the kids in Africa, Nora, the kids it, in Africa, unspecified children in the continent of Africa. It, it was African kids and, and probably still is. I mean, I found a picture of one of the Kielberger brothers who looks jacked, like the guys taking steroids and fucking like bench pressing some shit, shaking hands with someone. And his muscles are so intense that he must be really gripping the poor guy's hand in Africa. And they are apparently now the organization that has the, they're the only organization in Canada, apparently, that has a national presence that they can get not-for-profit organizations to find the volunteers necessary. And, and, and here's the best part. The best part is that you have to volunteer 500 hours to make that $5,000 supplement to your student loans or tuition fees or whatever. Hmm. What does that amount to? If like, say we pretended that that was like pay for work. <laughs> no, no, no. It's helping um, people. It's helping people out. There's no, it's, it's right. Priceless. Sorry. Cause the work itself is the pay. Of yeah. course. The work itself is the pay. We're just rewarding that, that, that work with, with a little, with a little award where you can pay off um, this amount that, fucking the government could you know make free if they fucking wanted to but you know the work if we were to consider it i know terrible idea if we were to consider it work how much does that amount to uh five thousand dollars for 500 hours so on a straight division which i know all of our listeners are super math literate so you're already ahead of us it's about 
10 bucks. Yeah, you just, you know, take you just you take out those zeros, you put the 5 in the 5, that's one. That's what, So did you say $10 an hour? Yeah, and, and it's actually not even $10 an hour because there's like apparently some like supplemental hours that they have to give that might drop it down to even below that. Nora, is that not um what is the word here illegal? Is that not is that not below minimum wage? I just I mean, of course, the work itself is the pay, but is it not below minimum wage in this time of COVID where, yes, students also need support? Is that not below minimum wage? Please do tell. I'm confused. It's not below minimum wage because students are benefiting from helping not-for-profit organizations do important work. Just like Justin Trudeau in blackface was not him being racist because... No, I can't come up with anything no. analogous. I can't. No. Sorry. It, Just wanted to remind the listeners. <laughs> it, it's it's complete bullshit. It's it's totally a program that disrespects wow. the minimum minimum wage. And the best part about it is it's it's also not a cheap program. It's a program that costs nine hundred million dollars, and the government is paying the charity. million dollars to cover its costs and according (laughs) yeah no oh yeah yeah. are you serious no no yeah yeah they're giving them 19.5 million dollars to administer this Uh, and there's also like a bonus based on no seriously are you serious right now (laughs) yeah 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 that's what the cbc is reporting and then there's also like a premium so that they also get money per student uh, for a student who's placed. And sorry, it gets better. It gets so much better. So they are paying... How 90- the fuck is we a charity? This is such <laughs> bullshit. Are you kidding me? No. I'm Sorry, so Nora and I spoke just a little bit before we started recording where she said she had done some research, but we didn't discuss what it was so that my reaction could be live on the air. And I just like, <laughs> I can't... $19.5 million? Yeah, yeah. At least, at least. It's supposed to go this up from is- there. Don't they have like a whole fucking grants department already at Canada Student Loans that could be a part of distributing this terrible fucking program? They have that. They also like there's the entire university and college system that they could easily dole out amount of money per university and college. And each university and college has a a programs office that has not for profit job banks. There's also the fucking the the summer jobs program that is a a ready made bank of not for profits that the government which I thought this was wasn't this supposed to be run through the the summer jobs program? That's what originally they said. So what the fuck is going on? Well, let me let me just finish this because you're going to just like get I think you're going to even like this even more. So CBC is reporting that five million dollars from that nineteen point five million will be passed on to partner organizations such as Big Brothers, Big Sisters and my personal favorite Pathways to Education. Oh, my God. And actually, and the best part about it is on the website, on the CBC website story that I'm reading, right beside this little paragraph is literally an ad, a paid advertisement for Pathways to Education. The grift is so incredible. Oh, my God. Nora, it just like, you know, I, I continue to be just so shocked by how easy it is to do the right thing and to help people yeah. and how much work the liberals seem to put into avoiding that. Like, 
$19.5 million going to another organization where you could just deliver that money directly to students. $5 million going to other partner organizations when you could deliver that money directly to students. Fuck, fuck the whole student program. You could have put all of that cash directly into the CERB. Yeah. And given out the money that people needed over the time that they needed it for, including students, including everybody who was not eligible, just right off the bat. But instead, the Kielbergers are going to make $19.5 million that will go into their organization for what? There's all of this controversy around the WE organization, uh, a lot of which, you know, um, has been uncovered by Canada Land. So if people um, don't know what I'm talking about, just Google Canada Land and and the WE organization, you'll see um, what we're referring to. Um, but this isn't like new that there's all of this um, critique around this organization. So why, why, why would they do this? It's almost as if there's some sort of link between the WE organization, the Kielbergers, and maybe the Liberal Party, maybe even the Trudeaus. Yeah, there is almost like that. And, you know, I don't want to shit talk other podcasts because... Not even almost... <laughs> <laughs> like literal, yeah. literal connections. Sorry, yeah. continue. No, like, you know, other people doing shitty podcasts. Like, it's hard to compete with those of us who've gotten a good format and whose podcasts are super popular. Um, but the WE organization, <laughs> the, the WE organization uh, has named Sophie Gregoire Trudeau as an, an ambassador and ally. That's in quotes. And, um, and they have a and Sophie Trudeau co-hosts a We podcast on mental health, which is like I would rather literally run a cheese grater through my ear canal than listen to her talking about mental health with We. And wait, the, Sophie Trudeau, wife of Justin Trudeau, is working for We doing a podcast. She's Just not to double check. She's not being paid because she doesn't need to be paid because she's fucking the wife of the prime minister. And also Justin's mother, Margaret. Sorry, I don't care if she's not being paid. She is she is working for them. She is producing content for We, which benefits We. No. Yes. Yes. No? Yeah. Yes. And, and this uh, all has a this has a very interesting COVID tie-in because it was a wee event um, in in London, England that uh, Margaret was at and Sophie was at when they all got COVID. Wait, really? I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, I don't know if they got it from there, but they all got it in England while they were there for this event. So, I mean. I'm not like a super superstitious person, but that alone is like warning sign, red flag, don't fucking do too much COVID wee stuff. But anyway, uh, and Trudeau also spoke at the event too. And, you know, I, I had a, a Twitter thread about the federal funding that we has enjoyed over the, the last, you know, couple years, the last three years. And the, the thread's gone a little bit viral. And in response, someone kind of pointed me to that one of their me to we days, which is where they basically force high school students or maybe even elementary school students into a massive uh, auditorium or, or, or uh, arena to talk about fucking I'm not sure what. Um, they 
uh, invited like the CEO of Tech Resources. Tech Resources is a company we talked about because they're about to just create a fucking mine the size of Edmonton in northern Alberta until that whole project fell apart. So, you know, these po- folks are corporate gr- grifters and they are no stranger to public contracts. I mean, in, in 2019, September, which is a very interesting time, if you remember that there was a federal election going on, they were given $3 million by Employment and Social Development Canada, which is the same organization that's administering these student grants, to do literally nothing, to do fucking fuck all. If you look at the explanation of what they were given this money for, it was it was fuck all. And they, you know, they've been given other huge sums of money, 887155 in 2018 for quote unquote innovative research. April Fool's Day 2019, they got $80,000 for a party called We Are Exclusive. Sounds Sorry. like a joke. Inclusive, actually. That was a joke. We Are Inclusive. Um, <laughs> they got... Um, A million dollars from Heritage Canada, again, for something that doesn't have a description in 2017. So these folks are very obviously close to the Liberal Party of Canada and benefit greatly from it. And so, you know, you're going to be listening to this on Tuesday. It's possible that yesterday there was a massive bomb that dropped on this uh, relationship uh, because I know a lot of journalists are looking into it. But everybody who voted for the Liberals who are kind of like, maybe the Liberals aren't that bad. You have to listen to us. They are that bad. Their friends so bad. just look different. Their friends look a little bit different. They are smiling, not-for-profit grifters who save African children. I mean, come on. Like, I, I, again, like, this is just another scheme. Like, how easy would it have been to just put all of that cash that they're now giving to another organization to come up with the infrastructure to give this out directly to people who need it uh, without having this weird middle organization. What the fuck is going on? Well, they're, ah! just, they're, 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 they're just giving money to their friends. I mean, this is this is classic corruption. And, and a lot exactly. of like conservatives have shared this a lot on my feed as well. And, you know, Canada Proud and folks associated with them are like, oh, Dora Loretto is doing some good research. And I've had to respond to every one of them telling them to fuck themselves because the conservatives do this too. But the conservatives, I mean, at least you can respect the conservatives that their grift is like really obvious. They're just reducing taxes so that their rich friends can, can make more money. The liberal grift is the exact same thing, except very complicated and is laundered through measures that sound like they are good or okay. And, you know, this is part of the decaying mess that is liberalism that 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 assumes that the state is able to mitigate the ravages of capitalism through giving money to like bullshit organizations that apparently fucking free the children with very little details of how they're freeing the children or anything like that. And, and you know, you asked, aren't they a charity? They are a charity, but they also have a corporate wing that is not a charity. And this is That's exactly right. how they get around this. And so, I mean, my, my direct message is, are very full of people who are telling me things about how this program is going, how we people are pushing these students on not-for-profit organizations or how not-for-profit organizations feel compelled to accept these students because they need the money and they need the support. 
And I I know one person said to me who's the head of a very large not-for-profit that's very respected. I won't say where. I won't say which one. And, and they were saying to me that they just feel so burnt out and their organization needs so much money that they're accepting the money and, you know, you know they're conflicted by it. And I, I respect that. Like, I appreciate that, that, that that's the case. And so... Everyone, I feel like if you voted liberal, you need to be on the phone right now with your closest liberal member of parliament, rather regardless if it's your own member of parliament, and tell them that this program is complete bullshit, it's exploitative, it's corrupt, and we see what the fucking liberals are doing. They are simply laundering money to their friends to administer a program that easily could have been given through the normal channels, through through the public service. 